Well, again, welcome out, everyone. Uh, so glad that we can be together. And uh, if you're tuning online, thanks for uh, joining in and glad for joining that way. And if you're over at our Montrose location, uh, thanks for gathering there as well. So uh, we've been walking through this series called, uh, What Does God Actually Want? And uh, maybe you've asked that question before. Uh, maybe you've been like, what does uh, God want from me? And usually uh, the way we try to answer that is with religion. And uh, Jesus actually kind of answers this question in, in a teaching moment that we've been walking through. And so uh, we, we've been looking at this uh, passage in the Bible we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's kind of a, a long teaching moment with Jesus. And it probably didn't just happen one time. It's probably the kinds of things that he said as uh, he went to the towns and villages and as he, as he spoke with people. And it's kind of all here in one block. And uh, we've been walking through that. And uh, there's this moment as, as Jesus is trying to deal with the kind of the, the preconceived ideas uh, of the day about how uh, we answer that question. What does God actually want? Uh, the mindset of the day would have been very shaped by uh, the Jewish scriptures. And, and, and what that is, uh, is what we call the Old Testament, the first half of your Bible. That was uh, what uh, the Jewish people had to go off of to understand God's heart and mind. And so that shaped their religion, that shaped uh, the social norms and the cultural norms and even the kind of like political expectations of the day. And uh, Jesus has noticed that, that those uh, preconceptions have began to dial away from what God's heart actually is. And so as he's setting up this teaching moment, he actually says this. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And so Jesus isn't here to say, hey, uh, yeah, none of that works anymore. Uh, we're gonna create a new religion. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, we're gonna get back to what God intended, his heart behind the law, and we're gonna reveal it in a new way. And, and that new way is gonna be Jesus accomplishing what God's heart was all along. And so uh, what we've said the first week in this series about uh, we define the law, um, what it does is it defines love. It defines what true love is because God is love and love is the response he wants from his people. And it, also, it doesn't just define what love is, but it also reveals or exposes the reality of our relationships, right? If, if we're actually fulfilling that, that law of love in our everyday lives. And so that's what the law did and people wanted to kind of follow those rules and get those rules uh, correct. And uh, Jesus kind of uses a few examples to unpack God's heart behind these things. And so we've talked about murder. Uh, last week we talked about adultery. I encourage you to, to catch up on those if uh, you're interested. And uh, this week we're gonna kind of continue as Jesus just keeps bringing up these challenging issues of the day. And uh, he's gonna bring up a divorce Divorce and remarriage. Divorce and remarriage. Now, um, for, uh, for some of us, this may feel like may, maybe we're in the minority when we come to this conversation. Uh, but as I've kind of like looked out at our church, as I think about like the people I know in our church, as I look at our groups, as I look at people I've met with, um, I would say that uh, actually there's not really a minority. About a third of our church is single, like you've never been married before. Um, a, about another third of our church is married, at least on your first marriage. And then there's another third of our church that has divorced or has been remarried, you know, and, and I don't really see one of those being a really, really small uh, grouping at, at our church. 
Not really even in our culture either. I see like uh, that there's an equal kind of number of all those different statuses uh, even just around us. But um, even, even in my own like family, as I began to think about this, divorce is actually very common. Um, I, I looked at my own family tree and even though I grew up uh, with parents who have uh, been together this year for 35 years, um, I look at my family tree and I look at some of the other branches of it and actually every other branch has divorce in it. Uh, um, several other relationships that have ended that way. And um, it's just, it's crazy. This is very uh, normal in our culture. I was doing some research. Um, There are about 2,000 divorces every day in the United States. 2,000 or more divorces every day in the United States. Here are some statistics on uh, if your marriage is going to make it. 42% of first marriages get divorced. 42%. Of second marriages, 60% get divorced, over half. And of third marriages, 73% get divorced. This is like, your changes aren't like going up. You're like, I'm gonna roll the dice again, like the odds go down. (laughs) Just how like the statistics play it out. There are uh, actually uh, factors that have been uh, observed as, as we study relationships and marriages, how they work out, factors that increase your chances of divorce. Some of those um, are, include uh, being around friends or family that have been through divorce. You're more likely uh, to have that happen in your life if you're around other family or friends that, that's affected. Um, cohabitation, living together and, and not being married is actually a factor that increases divorce. Uh, multiple previous partners. The, the, the more previous partners someone had, the more likely it was that they would have a divorce. Even uh, marrying young, uh, no, no surprise there. Sometimes you, you get into a relationship and you really don't know who someone is. And that could happen at any age, but a, a factor that can increase divorce is marrying young. And um, the average duration of a marriage is eight years. Eight years. We were told at the seven-year mark, we've been married for nine years. We were told at the seven-year mark, there's a thing called the seven-year slump. And so I figured that the eight-year average is the seven-year slump plus a year to process uh, the divorce papers. So uh, we've made it to nine. We're like barely got through it. Um, but these are just like kind of the, the scope. Again, these are just numbers. They're, they're not true uh, of you uh, specifically, but maybe you're like, yeah, like that, that affected us, or I've seen that play out, or I can look in, in kind of my own relationships and in, in the circles that I run in, and a lot of that uh, makes sense. It, it's interesting. That we're diving into this conversation. It was just as important in Jesus' time as it is for us to talk about divorce today. And uh, you may feel this is a little bit weird, but I think we're going to cover so much ground today. Uh, there'll be a, a lot for us to take away, kind of no matter where we're at. So here's where we're going today. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what marriage is and why God values it. I feel like it's a little bit weird uh, to talk about divorce and not talk about marriage. Uh, so we're going to talk about that first. And then we're going to talk about why divorce is a big deal to God. And uh, we'll see in a few different spots um, kind of just Jesus' response to that. Um, And then we're gonna close by finding hope beyond marriage and divorce. So this is a conversation even bigger than than just like that reality. And I I wanna take us there by the end. And actually there's hope, kind of gospel hope that we can find uh, at the end of this conversation today. So I encourage you to uh, open up those apps, uh, follow along today. And uh, we'll also have uh, the scripture up here on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles. Uh, But we're gonna be in Matthew 5. And again, we're picking up in that teaching moment 
with Jesus. And, and, th- and this is where he brings in divorce. And this is what he says. He says, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So uh, this is like the only three sentences we get. And you're like, what is Jesus talking about? Like he just seems like he's dropping these bombs and he's not explaining any of it. Um, and and you, it's right to feel that way. This is a very just kind of like brief overview of uh, what Jesus would uh, believe and teach about divorce. I think the one thing we can pull away from this is that divorce is weighty. It's weighty. Um, and if, uh, if we come uh, into a marriage or into a relationship and you say, you know, uh, what is the reason I can get a divorce? If we, if we go looking for that reason and because there, there's things in, in God's word and the Jewish law that would have allowed that, Jesus is saying, you're actually asking the wrong question. You're missing the intent behind my heart for marriage. You're missing the intent behind the, those reasons that, that divorce would happen. And so you can uh, divorce legally, right? You can provide that written notice. You can, you can get it correct on paper. You can even provide it easily. But Jesus is saying like, I, you're not even asking a question on the same level as me. Like I, I think about this so differently and it's, it's not something that can just be answered that way. And actually, I think what's so helpful is Jesus actually talks about this more. There's, there's another moment where some teachers of the law actually press Jesus more on this issue. And I'd love to take us there because I think it fills in more of the questions we have when we only read those three sentences. And so this is kind of like a longer uh, discussion of the same topic. And it's in Matthew uh, 19. And it says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with a question. And they said, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason. It's, it's nearly posed in the same way. Like, what's, what's the reason? What are the exception clauses? You know, where's the escape hatch? Um, and, and where can we find that specifically in our law? How can we justify it and permit it in those ways? And so they're asking him, kind of trapping, is there any reason? What are the reasons, Jesus? Because it's a complicated question. And so Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning... God made the male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And since uh, they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so uh, maybe you've been to um, a wedding ceremony and you've heard that, like what, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Uh, all this actually is like the, the main language that gets carried through the Bible. The, this concept right here of, of one, of two becoming one. This is uh, from the first pages of the Bible. Jesus is quoting Genesis 2, like page two of the Bible And this becomes the repeated theme all the way up to Jesus, even as he's having this discussion. He's like, have you not read the scriptures? Have you not picked up on the pattern that the the main thing that's happening here is marriage is about oneness. So that's that's what at the, the core of marriage is this theme, this pattern of oneness. 
We're supposed to understand that God's joining two people together into one new thing. And so when we say things like what God has joined together, let no man separate. Like actually in, in Jesus' brain and God's brain, there's just an impossibility uh, behind that because oneness is the new lens by which we see these two people who are married. And so I thought it might be helpful to illustrate this a little bit today because we can see marriage on several different levels. And um, also since it's summer, I figured it'd be really helpful for me to use lemonade, right? I mean, I don't want to make you like too thirsty. All we have out in the lobby is like coffee and water. So uh, I only have one, uh, right? But um, (laughs) this is, I think, is a helpful way to think about marriage or to contrast like how God thinks about it and how sometimes we tend to think about it. Because when we think about marriage, we understand uh, two becoming one in a sense, right? And so I'm going to use the first ingredient of lemonade, which is, of course, a lemon. And uh, guys, just for the sake of it, we're going to say that uh, you guys, you're the lemon, all right? Because we're a little bit sour and hard to deal with. And uh, you're the lemon, right? So you you are a lemon, and there's, of course, a second important ingredient uh, to lemonade, and it's, of course, the sugar. And, and ladies, you get to be the sugar, like, because you're so sweet. And you're not just, you know, one packet of sugar. You're like three packets of sugar. Guys, if, if, if you're trying to find some pickup lines, like, I'm giving it to you right here, okay? You're, you're like so many packets of sugar because you're so sweet. And we believe that uh, when we get married, we become one, right? Like, we're hitching our uh, lives together. And so we're going to make that uh, commitment. We're going to have the wedding and we're going to have a marriage. We're going to make lemonade. And of course, lemonade would not be complete without some water, right? So you're going to have the wedding and uh, you're going to move in together and you're going to maybe put your bank accounts together and realize how much he spends on Amazon and how much she spends on Target. And you're like, can I get the receipts to this? And you're like, I don't want to show you. It's embarrassing. And you're going to maybe have like kids together. You're going to buy a house and like life's going to happen. You're going to begin to interweave your families and lemonade is there, right? This wonderful, on a hot summer day, delicious cup of lemonade but it's not really. And Jesus is saying that like this theme that we pick up throughout the Bible is this idea of oneness, that when whenever a marriage happens, what's happening is something new is beginning to form because the old thing, whatever was there before, right? We're completely pouring it out. I'm going to squirt lemon all over myself. Um, And and it's emptied out, right? It's not remaining the way it was before. And I'm going to use this, it'll be a little bit easier, right? And it's actually combining into one new thing. And so then, as you begin to like build that life together, right? You begin to uh, start the life. You combine the finances. You actually talk about Target and all that stuff. um, And you begin to build a life together, right? Like it's a whole new thing. It's, it's, It's something new now. Like it's, it is its own new item. And so when you begin to have this conversation about divorce, Jesus is saying like, I, I don't even know where to begin with that because I don't think about marriage this way. It's, it's not as easy as saying, well, when, when can we take off the rubber band? How can we go back to the way it was? And in his mind, he just doesn't, he doesn't see it that way. He sees it as something totally new. You can't undo making lemonade. You can't re-separate out what's been combined. It's, it's a whole new item. It's oneness. 
And this becomes the lens that the Bible and, and Jesus uses to describe what's happening when a marriage begins. And so maybe you're wondering, like, am I actually even, like, married? <laughs> like, I got a wedding ring, like, uh, we're married, but, like, has that happened? Like, do, do I see it that way? Do our lives represent the reality that God's, like, called it to? Oneness. This is, how, how do we answer what the purpose of marriage is? Oneness. How, how do we answer the question, what does it mean to be married? It's oneness. How do you know, like, if you're supposed to get married? Oneness. How do you know if you're not supposed to get married? Oneness. Oneness is the, the lens by which we understand marriage because it's how God has designed and calls us to this kind of relationship. It's a whole new thing. And so, and so when we see this the way God does, we understand that marriage is an illustration of God's own covenant love. That word covenant is just the idea of this unique kind of commitment that we really only see happen in marriage. God, God will make a covenant with us, and so it's reflecting that, but really the only time we see this idea of covenant commitment or covenant love, that kind of joining together, that reality of oneness is in a marriage. And so last week you can hop into that conversation on, uh, on sex and marriage and realize that this is all a metaphor to point to God. That God wants a relationship with us. He wants to marry you. <laughs> he wants to partner with you through all of life. Like God loves you. He wants to give you like all of himself. And he, he wants the, the hopes for the same thing in response is that you would give all of yourself to him. It, it's a covenant. God wants to unite himself to you. He doesn't and won't ever separate himself from you. You are, you are one new thing. Actually, this idea of one new thing is how the Bible talks about a relationship with Jesus. It, it says that a, a new creation has been made. The old is gone and the new is here. You and Jesus are now this. You've been united with him. And so, and so marriage ultimately is showing us a, a spiritual reality. It's not just a, a legal reality like that, that I'm, I'm married, I have, I have the documentation to prove it. Something has changed spiritually. And in God's mind, he's like, I, I don't even know how to like separate that out because it's a whole new thing. We see this actually, uh, other parts of the Bible will pick up on it. It said, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. It's that same theme being picked up again. And this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. That's, that's why this conversation is so weighty and important is there's, there's nothing else designed to help us understand the way Christ relates to us, each of us, than this picture, this metaphor of covenant love. It, it's a mystery. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's hard to figure out. Like, none of us get it perfect. It doesn't totally make sense why we would uh, put ourselves through that and why we would wrestle through life this way. But this is a, a very big reflection of what God puts himself through, of how he pours himself out and unites himself to us. It's a lot like parenthood. Parenthood uh, allows you to understand being a mother or a father in a way that 
you don't understand by just being a son or a daughter. And so it's an invitation to understand that in a new way. Marriage is, is the same thing. It doesn't mean you can't understand God's love because you're, you're not married or you don't have kids. These just become expressions of what his love is like, what a relationship with him is like. And so that's the, the picture of marriage we have in the Bible. So um, what about divorce? Actually, um, Jesus continues this conversation, right? Because he didn't answer the question yet. He just uh, described what marriage was. And so Jesus continues. Well, actually, they question him and say, then why did Moses, why in the law, does it say that a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Like, if we can make it legal, why why is this such a big deal? If we have the law behind us, why is this a problem? And Jesus replies, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And so this is the same theme that we're picking up from that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, right? It's, it's the same conclusions, it's the same basis, but it's filled in a little bit more. And it's filled in a little bit more because it's not what God originally intended. So, so divorce is always tragic. Like Jesus is like, forget the law for a second. Like this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like none of us go into marriage expecting this or wanting this. This, this, is tr- this is a tragedy. It's not supposed to be this way. It's destroying the metaphor of God's covenant love because he never breaks his covenant promises. He never abandons us. He never gives up on us. But yeah, d- divorce was permitted. He's like, yeah, there, there like is law there. It, it was permitted when something more was being destroyed. And this is what I think uh, can summarize what Jesus is getting at. That actually divorce is considered when the picture of marriage is repeatedly destroyed. And I I use the word considered because I think too often uh, married couples, we hit like a fork in the road. We hit like a wall and we're like, how do we move forward together from here? And when we don't see a path through that, the only option we think we have is divorce. We think we we need to go our our separate ways because we can't imagine a path forward. And so I use the word consider because we're going to talk about this a little bit, but this is something that requires a a ton of prayer and discernment and, and counsel and it's not something you just come to the conclusion at quickly. Because we all bring sin into our marriage. Uh, One of the books I read when I was, uh, you know, we were engaged and we were about to get married, we read a book called When Sinners Say I Do. And the first chapter of the book talks about how uh, a marriage is two sinners pouring their lives together. And so the biggest problem in your marriage is you. (laughs) Because you're a sinner. Like we all introduce brokenness into that relationship. In different ways, right? But getting married, you should expect to be hurt <laughs> and to be let down. Like we're, we're going to cause that kind of breakdown in the relationship in one way or another several times throughout our lives. But what does he say? 
is because of our hard hearts. It's a concession because we get to that fork in the road, we get to the barrier, and he says, we, we began to, this began to be permitted because either one or both of the individuals in this marriage, they stopped seeking God, they stopped seeking help, they stopped seeking to grow. And so it was a decision that we came to, not because we had to come to that, but because someone had already made the decision to destroy this marriage. The, the metaphor is already being destroyed. So of course there's reasons for divorce. Like Jesus even acknowledges that both times. It, it gets acknowledged in other places in the Bible. And if, if you're expecting the Bible to give you the handbook on like what are the list of reasons you can get a divorce, like it, it's, it's a little bit too high of an expectation. But there, there are reasons. As, as I've walked through different marriage issues in our, in our church, I, I see some repeated themes come up. Like God, God knows you may need a way out. He's not trying to settle you into a place where you continue to be destroyed for the sake of preserving the metaphor. The, the metaphor is not being preserved anymore while you're being used at the expense of it. And so, so the reasons for divorce, we're, we're gonna get there, they're not about happiness, they're about wholeness. How do we restore what God intended? Not, not just, am I happy in this, but is this what God intended? And so there's several reasons. I could break it down in, into three different categories, just as I see some of the, the most common uh, reasons uh, divorce happens, and I, I think that it, it should be considered one of those things is adultery. This is the, the thing that Jesus brings up. That sexual unfaithfulness, the repeated betrayal, the, the ongoing pursuit of someone who is not my spouse. This, this happens. It's that repeated destruction of this is supposed to be, you know, our marriage. Like, we're one. No one else was supposed to be invited into this. And through some means or another, unfaithfulness has occurred and occurred repeatedly. The second thing is abuse. Whether that's verbal or physical or sexual, that the violence and the manipulation happens in that marriage or in that home. It's repeated, whether that's with the spouse or that's with kids. This is unsafe. This, this can become a, a, a much glanced over reason Sometimes um, that we, we don't see this happening, we don't talk about this and, and keep people safe. And the third thing that, that I see happen is addiction, where an unhealthy dependency is being formed. That could be on alcohol, hard drugs could be brought into that marriage, into that home, and maybe there was a struggle before, it wasn't just introduced by a spouse, and you're trying to be free from that, and this spouse is actually continuing to enable that addiction, and it may kill you. And as I think about these things, they actually like happen in our world and in, this, in our church. Like, if you've experienced that in your marriage, like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I tried to not even, like, put these things up on the screen when I was going through this this week because I'm like, it's just too heavy. 
Like, because like you're sitting here and you're like, I've experienced that in my marriage and I just want you to know like my heart hurts for you and God's heart hurts for you because he never intended for you to experience that. But those things happen. And God's not trying to settle you into those things and say, hey, call this good or keep this secret or don't tell anyone about this. He's saying this is not what a marriage is supposed to be. And as that happens repeatedly, as that person hardens their heart and they don't confess and repent and seek help and begin to grow and change, these are the kinds of things where I see people walking away and actually it's, I say it's good because now that person isn't being destroyed and they're not being ripped away from what God's love is actually like. And they can begin to experience not happiness, they can begin to experience wholeness. They can experience healing now in their life because that's the kind of work God wants to do. He wants to do a healing work in our lives. And these things are a poison to marriage. They destroy the metaphor. And if you are, if you are experiencing this today, like, please get help. Or, or if you feel like you're beginning to see the flavors of, uh, of that destruction show up in your marriage, Get help sooner than later, especially from the church, from, from our leadership, from, from biblical counselors in the area as we want to help walk with you through that. I've, I've helped people walk through separation. I've been in living rooms where there's family here and one spouse is there and one spouse is there and, and we're walking through the reality of separation because we're not landing at divorce quickly, but we know this isn't safe and we know someone needs to wake up and we want to protect that one who's being abused. And the church wants to, to stand in between that brokenness and that poison and say, we will protect you. We will help you navigate through this. It's, it's difficult stuff. It's some of the most difficult stuff I've ever had to do being a pastor. But we, we do that because we believe in what God can do, right? I would say this also about divorce, and I, I think this is hitting at Jesus' heart as well. That divorce should not replace fighting for your marriage. This is not a substitute. Like God wants you to fight for your marriage safely. Separation may be needed. But I think what happens is we begin to find hope in starting over. We begin to find hope in finding someone else. Like we we begin to see marriage in all of its sourest forms and we see it destroying us and our hope actually becomes not in in what God can do but in us rolling the dice again. (laughs) And we we literally just read the statistics on that. I'm not not saying, we're going to dive into this a little bit more too, but I'm saying the statistics like don't even prove that that's worth putting our hope in. And what, what God would want you to do is to find more hope in his redeeming power and his protective love and who he is really like than just rolling the dice again and starting over. Anytime I do a wedding, um, one of the last things I say, I don't, I don't try to preach very long, <laughs> right? Who goes to the wedding to hear the preacher? <laughs> but the last thing I say in, in my brief words is I encourage the couple to learn to forgive. And the last thing I say in my little spiel is I say, 
as you learn to forgive, remember that forgiveness is better than starting over. Someone choosing to humble themselves, to seek God, to seek change, to lay themselves down more, to to humble themselves, that's actually a a beautiful picture. When things begin to crumble, when when that marriage is being poisoned, and, and the person who's causing that or when both people are causing that, they actually humble themselves they begin to seek God and they begin to seek change. They begin to forgive. <laughs> they begin to do the work of forgiveness. It's actually so much more beautiful than starting over. And it's a lot of work. And if, if you're there, if you're like, man, I, <laughs> maybe it's the seven-year slump, maybe it's the 40-year the slump, I don't know what it is, but like, I want you to hear that God has more hope for your marriage than you do. Like he, he absolutely does. God has more grace for your spouse than you do because he sees your heart and he sees their heart. He sees what could be if we invite him in more. Actually, as uh, we, we see this worked out in the Bible more, we, we see a spot where we come to this um, issue of divorce again. It's in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, but for those who are married, this is, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. He's quoting Jesus, that a wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. It goes both ways. That the hope when that happens is always reconciliation that God actually can do that if we let him, if both people let him. You may feel like it's a long shot. You may feel like where you're at or maybe you've been divorced recently and and you would say, it's a long shot. There's no way God can fix this marriage. It's not a long shot. It's just supernatural. It's something that only God can do as we surrender our lives to him. And then there's this idea of remaining single. Um, or maybe you picked up on it, that, that weird kind of awkward phrasing where Jesus is like, and like if you get divorced and remarried, like you're committing adultery. All this is, is nuanced around that idea that like when something new is made, this is what God sees. I, I think sometimes that begins to be used in a way of shame and judgment and there's no reason And how could you ever, when really Jesus is just saying, like, I see this. I see what it is. I see what it could be. I see the oneness. I see the wholeness. Because that's what God is like. And so he's using that language, or or we're preserving remaining single for sake of hope. that, That God can still do ultimately what he hopes to do. And maybe you're asking today, well, what does God think about my divorce and remarriage? It's, it's, there's no rule. I can't just divide the room up and say, you know, the, the people who do it this way and the people who do it that way. It's not, and it's, it's not just a singular answer. I've seen premature and selfish divorce happen in our church. 
It's not for good reasons. It's unfair. It's usually out of a more uh, sake of happiness or wanting to find love, wanting to roll the dice again. And it's premature. They don't seek help. They don't seek counsel. They haven't humbled themselves. And so you get to that fork in the road and it's, it's too soon or it's selfishly motivated. I've also seen divorce happen in our church and it is justified. What one of those things has happened on the list and it's destroying that person or it's just unwanted. And someone's saying, I don't want this. I, I want to work on it. I want to see God do something miraculous. I'm willing to go through that. But the other person isn't. And it's not wanted. I've seen rushed remarriage. I've seen selfish remarriage. I've seen, seen people who, who don't know how to work through grief and loss. I've seen people who actually end up hurting others in the process and end up pushing others further away as they remarry because it becomes all about that. And other people who are trying to love them and trying to show the grace of Jesus to them, they, they actually push those people away so that they can get the thing they think they need. I've also seen remarriage happen in our church that is crazy redeeming. <laughs> this happened like a month ago in our church. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, God, look at what you did. Look at how you redeemed. I, I've seen couples who are hurting Betrayal has happened. They think they're at the end of it. I've seen God do a 180. And he's restored their marriage. I've even seen like renew, uh, not renewal vows, but like a remarriage back to the same person. Like the hope God promised happens in that marriage. I've seen people in our church who are single or, or divorced or widowed. And I've, I've seen you honor God in that. You're, you're not just like the outcast. You're like faithfully seeking him. And it's not just some sorry consolation prize. You understand that you're just pursuing God in a a new way, (laughs) in a unique way. And it, it doesn't look like marriage. But you're understanding God's love in a deep way. And this is actually where where it continues on. That each of us should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. And he says, this is just my rule for all the churches. This is his way of trying to put skin on it. And this is where we begin to find hope beyond marriage or divorce, whatever. That as a follower of Jesus, here and now, how do I love him? How do I display his love for me? How do I be faithful with what's in front of me? How do I believe that Jesus knows and sees my heart? How do I help, how do I reveal that actually he understands my need, he understands my hurt, he understands my longing, and he's ultimately who I live for, no matter like what my status in life is. Because marriage, marriage isn't the end all. It's not like the crowning achievement in life. And I, I, uh, I spend some time with some young professionals in our church. Most of them are single, kind of upper 20s and 30s. And there's like this pressure, whether it's from family or just life or pressure you place on yourself. And you're like, when am I going to get married? 
And it's like, it, it, that's, it's not about that. Life, that is not the end all to life. That's not like you moving forward in life. Mar- marriage is not the end all. It's an incredible illustration of God's love. It's a, it's a challenging uh, opportunity. But, but it's, it's the punctuation on the sentence, right? Marriage isn't the sentence itself. It's, it's just the illustration. Marriage makes a lousy replacement for what only God can satisfy because ultimately it points to him anyway. It's just not the end all. It's, it's not how we assess if God's working in our lives. So what is? Like what's the end all? What's the goal? The goal is living in God's love and displaying his love to others. God is asking us to stop looking to marriage for it to do something that only he can do. You, you could be happily married and you know you're still married to a broken person. <laughs> They're not God. You can't place that expectation on them. As much as you may long for companionship, we have to fight against that becoming an obsession that our lives are whole and that we can be happy if we find the right companion. That's just, a, that's just a cultural myth. That's just something we believe in our own heads. We just read how you can live in God's love no matter where you're at. And you can still display his love wherever you're at. And so what does it look like to do that today? to draw deeper into God's love through your singleness, through marriage, through divorce, through remarriage. As you wrestle through the hard questions, like we see the gospel written in our lives. If you're single, you see the gospel in that God wants to walk through life with you. He wants you. He sees you. You aren't alone. He wants to give all of himself to you. If you're dating, <laughs> you're beginning to see that affection. You're beginning to see someone long for you and if they propose and, and you get married, right, to choose you. That's the gospel. Like God chooses you. <laughs> he wants you. He like loves you. He has like feelings about you. He likes you. He like wants to spend all of his time and life with you. As you're married and you go through life together, you go through the hard stuff of life, thick and thin, and that, and that person chooses to forgive, that person chooses to love. That's the gospel. That's God choosing to love you, choosing to forgive you, choosing to continue to go through life with you. When you experience the pain and brokenness in marriage that doesn't get redeemed, and that person says, I don't want you anymore, You experience the gospel in that because God says, even though they rejected you, like I still want you. Like you are mine. I will will never break my promise to you. All of that, it's the gospel. You begin to look at it and instead of longing for something more, God says, I am with you right now. The gospel is written in this moment. And maybe... This weekend, like God's inviting you into that more deeply. And your heart's been hard. Or you've longed for something more. 
you're hurting. And God is saying, ultimately, like, I am with you. I, I want you to experience that now, not like then. I want you to know now I'm with you. I'm real. We're a new thing. This is us now. I'll never abandon you. I'll never forsake you. My love doesn't fade. It doesn't go away. I'll be with you always. And so you're invited into that. You're, you're invited to ask God to, to show you more of himself, to believe that he sees you and loves you regardless. I want to invite the band to come out and pray for us. Father, thank you that in all times and in all places, we can understand your love. That it's not about arriving or having a perfect relationship or getting everything right, God. You know that all of us bring sin and brokenness into, uh, into marriage, <laughs> into our relationships. But God, even as I like wrote uh, those reasons that um, divorce happens, I see it as preserving your love, God. There are people feeling that weight this weekend. And I pray that you would give them hope. Hope in your forgiving and transforming grace. Help us to believe that your power is real. And God, if we don't know where to start, let us start just by asking, by calling out to you, by acknowledging that you are different than any other earthly relationship because you are perfect you're a perfect love. Help us to see that today, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.